first scripture reading is Proverbs 31, 10 through 30. A wife of noble, of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it. Out of, the, out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds, <clears throat> she holds the distaff and grapes and spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Is that where I end? Yes. <laughs> Our second scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, thank you, thank you, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to see the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was white as snow and the guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell down dead, faint. And then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. He isn't here. He is raised from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there and remember what I told you. And the women ran quickly from the tomb, and they were frightened, but also filled with great joy as they rushed to the disciples to give them the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they ran to him and held his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid, but you go tell the brothers. Tell the brothers to leave for Galilee, and that I will meet them there. Good morning. So first and foremost, I'm going to apologize to the men in the room, because you're probably going to feel like at the beginning that I'm not preaching to you at all. Um, so I'm sorry, and I'll get to you at the end. Um, but it's Mother's Day, and I don't think Mother's Day would be complete without a readings of, of Proverbs 31, right? I don't think I've ever been to a women's conference or to a women's retreat or to a women's Bible study that did not include the reading of portions. I left my Bible. Corey, could you bring that to me? Uh, without reading of that text, which I want to read a little bit more of it for you today. Sherry so kindly read it to us. Um, but I'm going to read a little bit very quickly. 
uh, starting in 13, it says she finds her wool and flax and she spends it. And then she finds a merchant ship and she brings food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and her servant girls. Not just her, everybody. Um, she goes out to expect, inspect a field. She buys it with her own earnings, which doesn't even make sense for that day, to be completely honest. Um, she buys it with her own earnings, then she plants a vineyard, then she's energetic and she's strong, and she's a hard worker, and she gets bargains, and she stays up late and burns the midnight oil. She, her hands are busy. Uh, she extends a helping hand to all the needy, all the poor. She has no fear of winter. Her husband's well-known. Uh, she does a lot of things, y'all. She does a lot of things. Um, and, I mean, it's just so much. It's just so much. And it's just a lot of things to do right, right? Like, there's a lot of things that this woman had to do correctly. Um, but it makes me think of men's conferences, men in here, men's conferences. Men's conferences, they get to sit around and, like, if iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. And they get to sit and drink their coffee and plan a big game dinner, you know? And then women's conferences, we get a very tedious list, okay? That's what we're given. It's a tedious list, some tea sandwiches, and shame. Um, that's what we get, right? Um, because of that, if this is what it is to be a biblical woman, if Proverbs 31 is what it is to be a biblical woman, well, I'm not that. I'm never going to be that. And I don't know how to be that, right? Um, maybe just me. Maybe just me. But I don't, it, that's impossible, all of that feels impossible. I'm supposed to be a domestic queen who rises early, and I'm a great businesswoman who brings all the provision to the household. Not sure what the man's doing, but um, you bring all the provision. You're super organized. You dress amazing. It talked a lot about how she was dressed really pretty. Um, you dress amazing. She works as an elected official. I don't know if you got that part. Like, she was, like, in charge of things. Um, and then she raises perfect children. And if that is what God is requiring of us, then I just say we give up because <laughs> that's hard. Or maybe we're reading the text wrong, right? Maybe that's not what God is requiring of us, and maybe that's not what the text is even trying to say. So when we dig a little bit deeper into that portion of Scripture, we can see that that's a poem, right? It mirrors the poem that happens in Proverbs 1, and it's a poem at the end of Proverbs in Proverbs 31. And if we read a Hebrew Bible instead of our English one, we would be able to recognize it as an acrostic. Y'all remember an acrostic from school? Um, where the beginning letters of each stanza go through the Hebrew alphabet in succession. And if it was English, we would say it goes from A to Z, right? So this poem more than likely was not a list of all that women should be, but an ode to all that women are. And so to clarify, the Proverbs 31 woman is not a real woman. She was not a real person. There's no specific individual that this was modeled after, but it is a grandiose idea of all that womanhood encompasses from A to Z. As a poem, Proverbs 31 should not be interpreted prescriptively as a job description for all women, but its purpose is to celebrate wisdom in action, as so much of Proverbs is, not to instruct women everywhere that they had to get married and have children and take up the loom. You don't have to do that. Another interesting point about Proverbs 31 is according to the book that I've read recently called uh, The Year of Biblical Womanhood by Rachel Hale Evans, which is a great book, by the way, um, that in modern Jewish culture, it is not women who memorize Proverbs 31, but it's men. 
Men, can you imagine a men's conference with Proverbs 31? But anyway, um, men memorize it as a reminder of what the glory of women is and to love and to honor and to cherish the women in their lives. And how much different would our lives be as women in this kingdom if that text was used not to bully us but to praise us and not to tell us what to do but say this is who you can be. If it was impressed upon women in our communities that wherever you land on this spectrum of being a woman, you're doing okay, wherever it is. You're fulfilling your purpose in life by just being you, by being who you are. So the question this morning is, if we can't look to Proverbs 31 as a prescriptive list of who we should be as women, then where do we look? Where is it? And I would suggest this morning, as with most questions in Scripture, we look to Jesus. What does Jesus have to say about women? What is Jesus' opinion of women? What does Jesus have to say to all of us this morning? And I think there's no better place to start than the resurrection. As we just heard in the resurrection story that I read moments ago, Jesus had such a high view of women that he showed them the resurrection first. Logic would tell us, or it would tell me in this reading of scripture, that he would have revealed himself to the disciples first. Like, that just makes the most sense to me. Um, that then all-knowing God that would know that these men would become the first apostles and the first evangelists, they kind of needed to know of the resurrection. But no, Jesus showed his love to these women first. He said, he revealed himself to them and he said, you go tell the brothers, making these women the first evangelists. The first person to physically meet Jesus in this world was obviously his mother, Mary. The first person to be filled with the Holy Spirit was Elizabeth on that road when she met Mary and John the Baptist left in her womb and she said, I am now full of the Holy Spirit. Women were a huge portion of Jesus's healing ministry as well. From the woman with the issue of blood, to Peter's mother-in-law, to Mary Magdalene, to the crippled woman who was infirm for 18 years. And then that list goes on and on and on. There were numerous women healed by Jesus. Jesus wanted us to know that he valued women in an age where they lacked value. So, so much so that the first person ever to preach a resurrected gospel was a woman. So what is Jesus' opinion of women? His opinion is that you are valued. Not because of your domestic abilities or your child-rearing abilities or your abilities in the workplace. Your very identity and your humanity are valued by the one in which you are an image bearer. Women are valued by Jesus. We can find out more about Jesus' opinion outside of the resurrection story as well. Some of that is in the female imagery used throughout the Old and the New Testament for both God and Jesus. I'm going to read a lot of them to you real fast, so y'all just hold on. In Hosea 13, God is described as a mother bear. God says this, Like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and tear them asunder. Sounds very Old Testament. Um, <laughs> Deuteronomy 32, it describes a God who gives birth. God says, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Isaiah 66 was described God as a comforting mother. God says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, says the Lord of hosts, for I comforted you in Jerusalem. Isaiah 49, God's compared to a, a, 
uh, God is compared to a nursing mother. God says, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you, says the Lord. Isaiah 42, God is a woman in labor. God says, for a long time I have held my peace. I have kept myself still and restrained myself. Now I will cry out like a woman in labor and I will gasp and pant. And then you have Jesus in Matthew. He says it both in Matthew 23 and in Luke 13. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who sent it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. And I feel like all of the mothers in this room can connect with Jesus on that one, or at least I can at my stage. He's trying to gather all of his children in one place, but the kids won't stay, and they won't obey, and they don't listen, and then they run away. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that I'm necessarily comparing my children to unrepentant Israelites, but sometimes it's not, it's not too far off now, is it? Now, what's the purpose of reading off all of these times that God uses this female imagery? It's not to start a debate about whether God is male or female or above gender identity. We can let history and orthodoxy weigh all that out for us. It's to say that whether you connect with Jesus calling out to God who is our father or you connect with Jesus comparing himself to a mother hen that just wants to hold her children to herself, whether you're a man or a woman in this place, that we have a God that identifies with us. We have a God that in Genesis said, man and woman, I have made them and I have made them in my image. We have a God that identifies with us so he can be closer to us. He just wants to be near us. We have a God that is not afraid of our femininity and he is not afraid of masculinity and he is not afraid of our humanity because he met us here. So what does Jesus have to say about women? What is his opinion of women? That he values us and that he identifies with us this morning. Another woman that Jesus had a very impactful encounter with was the woman at the well. Now this one was not in our scripture reading this morning, so I'm going to kind of recap it really fast. So Jesus goes down to Samaria, y'all remember this, and there was just a singular woman sitting at the well in the middle of the day. And he speaks to her, and the first thing she says, why are you speaking to me? I'm Samaritan. And he says, because Jews didn't associate with Samaritans at that time, and he says that he just wanted a drink of water, and then she's unable to give it to him. And he tells her about living water, right? And then asks her about her husband. And she very quickly responds, I don't have a husband. And then he says, of course you don't have a husband. You had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And she was taken aback, right? And she said, oh, you must be a prophet. And he said, I am not a prophet, for I am the Messiah. In scene, that's it. Um, that's the portion we're going to get to today. So just like Proverbs 31, my understanding of this text now is kind of a little different than how I read it 10 years ago. 10 years ago, I would look at that and say, Jesus met her there with the whole purpose of calling out her sin and bringing her to repentance, Right? That's what my initial reading would say. But it's amazing what history and context can do to our understanding of Scripture. So the first question that I would ask now is, why is this woman alone in the middle of the day by a well? 
See, because at that time, and any of you that have been anywhere, if you've been to Africa or overseas where women gather water at the well, no one goes in the middle of the day, and nobody goes alone. It's, uh, Maxine probably knows from her time in Africa, even my short stint that I spent in Africa, women went early in the morning or late at night when it was dark and cool to gather the water, and it was communal. You went with your friends, right? And you didn't go alone because that's dangerous. So what initially this says to us is this woman must have been an outcast. Somebody didn't like her. And so we bring that to the table of our understanding of this text. But also, while reading this, we must bring to the table our understanding of divorce during that time. During those days, a woman could not request nor be granted a divorce for any reason. But if a divorce happens, it was at the full discretion of the husband. And women could be divorced for almost any reason at any time or for no reason at all. So more than likely, this Samaritan woman did not have five husbands that died, right? That didn't happen. What probably happened is that she was divorced and put out of her home that she lived in repeatedly and left destitute because without a husband, you had no money. So she had to find a husband after husband after husband, not because she was sinful, but because she didn't want to die. She wanted to eat. She didn't want to be alone. So when Jesus called her out there, he recognized that this was probably not her fault. That she was put away for possibly something as simple as being infertile. This woman was pushed aside. She was used, she was abused, and she was thrown by the wayside. So Jesus asked this loaded question of this woman that he knew the answer to. And it wasn't to call out her sin of fornication. It was to call out her abuse. He wasn't there to condemn her, but he wanted her to know that she was seen, that she wasn't alone, that he was there, and that he was present. See, Mother's Day is a joyous time for a lot of people. Some of you woke up to breakfast in bed. I did, kind of. It took a minute. Um, Some of you woke up to handmade cards with little macaroni glued on them uh, from your kids or your grandkids. Um, But for some of you, Mother's Day is hard. Maybe you've lost your mother recently or not so recently. Maybe you don't have a positive relationship with your mother. Maybe you've struggled with infertility and loss. It's hard for some people. And to be honest, the hardest Mother's Day of my life was just a few years ago. Eden was three years old, and it was Mother's Day 2015. And in 2014, I suffered several miscarriages. So by the holidays of 2014, I was resigned to the fact that we wouldn't have any more children. And I thought I was over it. As much as you could be. And then... Mother's Day came, and I sat on the front pew of that church that we attended and hugged my three-year-old and cried. I was overwhelmed by the loss that felt over and over again, and it consumed me again just on that day. But just like the woman at the well, Jesus wanted to bring the Messiah into my situation. He wanted to bring the Messiah to her And he wants to bring the Messiah to you all today. 
Whatever situation that's going on in your life, whether it's grief or pain or joy, Jesus wants to bring the Messiah into that. Now, we all know how my maternal story turned out by evidence of that very loud two-year-old that y'all see running around. She's here. But the story I want to tell you this morning is not one of miraculous healing. The story I want you to gather today is that I was met in my grief and I was met in my pain by a God who was present. And if your Mother's Day is full of joy today, we thank God. We praise God. And we recognize that Jesus is here with us right now. And if your Mother's Day is tinged with grief and pain, we sit with you and we see you like Jesus did. And we recognize that Jesus is here with us right now. So what does Jesus have to say about women? That he values you, that he identifies with you, and that he's here with you right now. And if we can't look to Proverbs 31 as everything we need to be as women, then we look to Jesus the answer to what always has been, the answer to what always is, and the answer to what always will be, it's Jesus. And he's here with us right now. Let's pray.